everyone, welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast, episode 13, lesson 14, that's where it gets tricky. I'm Colin <laughs> McVader, and joining me is, as always, Clark Coffey, Hello, California. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome, it's a beautiful day. Uh, I can look out my window here and see all the way to the ocean. Not that we're close to nice. the beach, but yeah. it's the, it is a beautiful day. We actually got some rain last weekend and yeah. uh whereas it was smoky i think the last time recorded the sky is crisp and i'm feeling psyched to talk about film and uh mr herzog here yeah no i'm really excited it's beautiful here too beautiful weather 20 degrees celsius in and, november and, is very rare for here so i'm i'm fantastic uh, energized but uh, today Excellent. we're going to be talking about uh, as I mentioned, Lesson 14, which is similar to our last episode. It's kind of the second part, I would say, of this kind of acting I think that's um, fair, yes. duo, uh, which yep. is working with actors on set. So a little bit different, a little bit different from what we talked about last time. Last time right. we talked about the method. And kind um, of more, more casting, time, kind of pre-production. Yeah. Now we're talking about we're in production, we're on set, we've cast our actors, and we're we're working. Yeah. Exactly, yep. And uh, it's a really interesting lesson because there's a lot of, as per usual with Herzog, there's some sort of controversy or mm. controversial takes on how he yeah. deals with things, um, and we'll get into all those details. I mean, that's what makes it so goes, juicy, but, right? Uh, I mean, if yeah, it were, exactly. right? <laughs> well, I mean, that's what makes him, I think that's what one of the things about kind of studying him as a filmmaker is Well, so thought-provoking. It's right? not just sitting there and going, okay, this is how X makes a movie, and, you know, there's their behind-the-scenes process. It's right. like, he's just will, like, throw some crazy thing out once, and, and you'll be it's like, fantastic. Oh, oh, okay. And it, it, you know, he he has tried so many different techniques, and we're gonna we're gonna get into some of that here, like hypnotizing yeah. actors, for example. Which I mean, come on, how many directors have done something like that? So mm-hmm. it's it, it really is like a fantastic, and this is what we we love. I mean, we're both fans of Herzog, of course, that's a given. But it's why it's so fun to take a look at his films and his philosophies of filmmaking because uh, it, it's really there's such a great canvas there to compare and contrast and kind of. Uh, make decisions for your own styles and philosophies. Not that you would ever accept all of his. That's never what we're recommending, of course. Um, But it's a great, like, sounding board or, you know, contrast. Um, So, and acting is something that I I know I've mentioned before is near and dear to my heart. It is one of my absolute favorite aspects of filmmaking. Uh, I both enjoy acting and I, and directing actors, um, it is it is truly one of my greatest joys in filmmaking. So when I'm on set working with actors, uh, that's when I feel like I'm I'm most in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what about you? Is that you know just to take a tiny little quick, but you know, uh, I don't know. Is, is I, I mean, I'm, is it one of your favorite parts, or do you, is that a part? I'm that in between. You worry I about? love. Okay. I really like location. I I okay. love getting out and um, you know one of my desires not necessarily as a career option but one of the things i love the most with film is even just going out and getting you know nature footage and things Mm. like that so i am in between there i do love working with actors and i love the energy on a set but there's also times where i think that filmmaking can be very poetic and very solitary yeah and that's kind of a lot of fun too and and i know that it's kind of like you have kind of not to put words in your mouth but i get a sense from just knowing you for so many years now that there's kind of like a a communion you have with the camera and the image that Mm -hmm. is is a really important part of it to you yeah so definitely yeah well, yeah, so right off the bat, and I love, I mean, I just love this. This is uh, this is a really beautiful uh, phrase, and I, I completely agree with this philosophy here. Herzog starts this lesson right off the bat, and he says, look, 
There's no stars on set. Now, of course, he definitely works with stars, but what he means mm -hmm. is everybody's equal. There's no stars on set, um, but whoever's in front of the camera is royalty, even mm -hmm. extras. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I like how you point that out. Yeah. Yeah, and you and I were bri briefly talking before this, and I'm like, you know, it. I, I have actually done background work uh, for a brief period of time, and uh, I recommend it actually to everybody. Uh, when you're first, first, first starting out, uh, especially if you live in a big market, you know, doing background work, uh, the barrier to entry is very low. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, when I see very low, I mean very low relative to just about doing anything else on a professional uh, film or television set. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I know people but who just work in business who... Sure, on you can, weekends go and, but it's, and do it, background work, right? Yeah. It, but it can be challenging. I don't mean to misrepresent, especially if you're union. It can actually be hard to even get background work in LA. Yeah. Um, but it's a great opportunity to uh, get on a professional set and actually watch the you know mechanizations, watch people working, see how a pro set uh, operates. It's fantastic experience, and you know uh, you can be just starting out in your career and work six feet away from you know, people at the top of their game. So it's a great yeah. way to get close to people. I digress. But it's so wonderful for me to hear that because for me to hear that because most of my experience is that extras are definitely not treated like royalty. No. Uh, they're no. kind of more treated like cattle, frankly. Mm. Uh, cannon but, fodder. <laughs> cannon fodder. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I But I really do love this phrase, right? That you know, look, uh, there's there's no stars, meaning there isn't somebody that's above somebody else, you know, receiving special treatment or whatnot. But whoever's in front of the camera, they're royalty. Yeah, uh, and exactly, I think yeah. it's it's a wonderful way to way to kind of phrase this. Um, I think that the, you know, my take on that too isn't necessarily that it's like you know bend over backwards to serve no, the talent, but rather correct. that because the image is so sacred. Yes. And I don't mean what just the visuals. I mean so that the image, the, the frame of of whether it's film or digital, you're shooting right. on that that exact moment that you're capturing is sacred and precious. That. So anybody it's involved precious. in that yeah. is exactly. It's like it's and, like making a stained glass window. It's like you know you could have a sheep in there, but that sheep is now this holy thing and this right this beautiful work of art. Yeah. Great way to put it. Right, and that you know. Uh, and performances are, are, are often, you know, it's very, they're very fragile things, right? A performance is this fluid, fleeting, vaporous kind of, you know, thing that's happening in real time. And I, I think that, it, you know, we've talked about other ways to protect that space and, uh, and allow for these fragile, nuanced moments to occur on camera. You know, you really have to create that sphere of protection for whoever's in front of the camera at what, you know, whoever it is, whenever they are. So, uh, I love that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Herzog goes on to talk about having co confidence with your actors. Well, yeah, I, boy, I would hope so. I mean, if you've done your due diligence, if you have uh, taken the time and the investment in your casting, uh, then, and certainly hopefully by the time you get on set, you still feel good about them. Yes. Uh, yeah. ho hopefully you've, you've, you've talked. Although there have been very famous examples of people being recast, you know, midway well, through certainly, yeah. it, certainly. And it does happen. It does happen. And we haven't talked about that. And Herzog hasn't talked about that, but you know, I think that's a really good point. You know, if you're ever in a situation where, cause look, every, you know, things happen, right. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I don't even want to say, well, you could, it, it, that it's a mistake in casting, but sometimes situations change. Sometimes, you know, you feel like something was a fit, but by the time you get to shooting, you realize it's not, 
Uh, so that definitely can happen. And I think that's a good point. I mean, look, if you're to the point where you have really lost confidence in your actor, I mean, it's like you have, you know, and you, we all kind of know, right? You, there's things that happen that kind of ding your confidence a little bit, but you're like, no, 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 it's good. I still trust them. But mm -hmm. you get to a certain breaking point where it's like, okay, now if you don't feel like you trust your actors at all, uh, then probably that's where you have to start looking at, well, should I recast this? Because uh, it, it's painful of it's, it's, and it can be Costly. expensive and time consuming yeah. and everything else, but it doesn't get better the longer you wait. I mean, mm -hmm. it's better to recast somebody in the first week of shooting than it is in the last week of shooting. My goodness. Especially as know? soon as you have that inkling, like, <laughs> as soon as, or, you know, yeah. but, but uh, an inkling as far as like you've really molded over and you've had yes. conversations with yeah. them. And you I shouldn't mean, just, yeah. If they, you know, if they make one little mistake, then you shouldn't be like, all right, they're no, done. Oh no, no. But, my gosh. I make you know, I think that's little mistakes that, every uh, day. So that's not, yeah. The thing that comes up for me is more personality, right? You know, okay. you can, after spending a few weeks with somebody, you usually can pretty have a pretty good gauge on their personality, both positive and negative aspects. And I think that sometimes if those negatives really outweigh the positives, then yeah, you can you can kind of make a, a guess there. Right, of, but it, and it, it's well. you know it's one of these kind of intuitive, dis, you know, ultimately ultimately it boils down to just how, you know your intuition in a sense. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, look at the. Uh, the relationship that Kinski had with Herzog, of course, it's notorious. We've talked about it numerous times, and it's been the subject of, you know, all kinds of myths and stories and uh, everything else. But uh, I mean, certainly their relationship was a complicated and sometimes violent one. But yes. Herzog, his intuition was, okay, yes, this is challenging. And it's often, you know, <laughs> Kinski is completely a catastrophe on set. And he's, you know, other people are about to quit their positions. This is, you know, horrible. But he stuck with them. Yeah. Uh, and there's definitely some proof in the pudding as far as the results on film. But, you know, everybody's going to have their own points where, uh, where it may be time to recast. But... Yeah. But Herzog, so, you know, hopefully you're going into this with a high level of confidence. You have a rapport with your actors now. You're on set. You've gone through pre-production casting. Uh, perhaps you've rehearsed with your actors. Certainly, hopefully, you've talked with them. You've had an ongoing dialogue since you've cast them. And now you're on set. So hopefully you've got, you know, uh, you, you're able to read them a little bit. You understand them as human beings and as actors. And so Herzog talks about you know, having that understanding so that, you know, you know when you need to kind of keep them safe. And you know, maybe, when to have them feel a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be, you know, again, it's it, it, this really does relate to the last episode where it's yeah, like, how do 100%. you ride that very fine line, that very slippery slope of not breaking that trust with your actors, right? but, you know, letting them be aware of the type of environment you're trying to create. Yeah. Um, because many actors will legitimately say yes to being uncomfortable or you know being in not the the nicest situations environmentally like if it's freezing cold out or right. of course to a, a safe degree um, i mean if, especially but, if it, um, right if it's pertinent to the story if it's pertinent yeah. to the scene you know i think there there are limits but but i think the uh, worst thing you can do is is not involve them in that process and right. not communicate that with them because right. then you're again as we said this whole communication and trust thing is so vital right um, and no, I think we ended, you, yeah. or at least we talked about, I think, at length about honesty with your performers yes. uh, and having them be able to opt in to consciously, knowingly opt into an experience or opt out of experience as opposed to have it just thrust upon them. And mm -hmm. of course, there are, you know, I mean, there are 
gradients to everything. I, you know, Herzog talks about, you know, when it may be appropriate, you know, if an actor is feeling a little bit uneasy about a scene, they're, maybe they're feeling a little vulnerable or insecure. But uh, in this scene, the, the character is vulnerable or insecure or confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of kind of coddling the actor and waiting until they're secure, he's like, no, 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 let's, let's just, let's do a take. Let's go for it. Um, you know, I, that kind of stuff makes sense. Um, it's like, and, I call it almost like accidentally method, right? It's like, it's, they're <laughs> right. like, they might not be method actors, but it's, it's essentially the process. There you and, go. And Herzog does get into method acting later. He but, does. Um, I will, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, which, and, but and I do think that sometimes that is even better because I think that, like, I almost think that this accidental method is, mm-hmm. is more effective because it's becoming, it's coming from a natural place. It's not coming from a thought mm. process of. I'm going to go method. It's coming from a thought process of, damn, I, I have a lot of stage fright right now. Oh, let's use that, you know? Um, so it's kind of funny how it... Well, uh, and it's, it's interesting, you know, and I think, I, I think, you know, actors who are experienced, uh, actors who are trained and experienced are going to understand these mm-hmm. things. Uh, and I think, you know, because look, they will have worked through this kind of situation a hundred times. Um and so they're going to have an understanding of what's going on here. And, and you know, there's also kind of a school of thought. I remember one of my old acting teachers, you know, she was like, look, everything is part of the story. Um, mm-hmm. How you feel at it, you know, I mean, it's it's all part of the story. You channel it through there. So I, and I think most actors have kind of learned to take whatever it is that they're feeling in that moment and realize that, hey, I can use this in the story. Uh, I think with some, you know, with less experienced actors, if you're working or, or maybe you're they're not even professional actors, uh, you have to be a little more careful. I think you can still do these kinds of things. You can still use that uncertainty, that vulnerability. But I think you need to let them know what you're doing. Like, hey, you know, explain it a little bit to them. Hey, like, you know, it's OK. Uh, you feel nervous, but this is going to be perfect for where we're at with the story and the character right now let's mm-hmm. let's do a couple takes and you know so it, it's just so situation specific um but i think overall in general absolutely i mean use what's in the air use what's going on well, and channel that into the scene i've got a little anecdote um when i was in high school i was doing a short film about andy warhol's um factory girls okay and one of the actresses that we had didn't know any of her lines. Like she came to set and just Boy. knew none of them. And it actually wound up working out really well because okay. there was a very clear, you know, thought process of her when she was sitting there delivering the lines that it like it really looked like she was straining to remember them. But it played <laughs> out as seeming like she was like Thinking. nervous and, and Nerv- okay. concerned to talk and concerned yeah. to say the wrong thing to this, you know, Andy Warhol lady. Um, so it actually worked out really well. For Great. Me, like, and you, you guys were scene. able to use it. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd much I, rather I, do that than scold someone for, you know, for well, getting for sure. the lines or whatever, and, right? Yeah. And I think if it's working, I mean, I have an example where, unfortunately, that, you know, the opposite happened, right? Right. Where yeah. where I was working on a short film. It was one of the first, first short films that I had ever uh, done here in Southern California. I had recently moved here. I had a lot less experience than I did now, but I was uh, working on this film just as an actor. I was playing one of the leads, and one of the uh, actors uh, who was going to be uh, in a handful of scenes that we were shooting this day didn't show up, and yeah, just no, didn't geez, show yeah. up. <laughs> and that's definitely, 
you know, that's an issue with the director and producers to not have been on top of that. But mm -hmm. we had a significant role not show up. And so that role was filled with somebody who had very little acting experience. And unfortunately, you know, his nervousness, his vulnerability was not appropriate in these scenes. Mm -hmm. And uh, the director had a really difficult time, you know, trying to mold his, where he was in his current state yeah, into an appropriate too. performance there. And it actually turned out to be a pretty big deal and had a significant impact negatively on everything that we shot that day. And uh, it, it actually was it was pretty nasty. Mm -hmm. um, but I do wonder, though, if, if a more experienced director could I think have so. worked with I think that. so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but the, I think this is just a, it was just a case in point of, you know, we've got an inexperienced actor and an inexperienced director. Mm -hmm. And so the director was not able to, you know, work with him to kind of channel those insecurities or those fears into a because I think you always can. Right. It doesn't have to be this this very literal connection where it's like, well, the uh, the character is nervous. So since you're nervous. Uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, it's going to be fine. I think you, you can use your, you know, you can get imaginative, you can get complex and you can kind of twist that. And this would just be a simple example where you'd say, okay, you're nervous. Now your character doesn't appear to be nervous. Your character actually appears to be very confident. So, okay, well, what do we do when we're nervous? A lot of people project this veneer of confidence, almost overconfidence because they're covering up an anxiety mm -hmm. or, you know, some feeling that they're not good enough or there's, you know, some self-esteem issues. So they project this like very confident veneer. So let's work on that. You know, I mean, th so there's all different ways that, you know, that you can channel these kind of energies. But I just don't think the director had the experience. He just hadn't yeah. been in these situations it was, before. It was but... a situation where it's like, oh, crap, this guy doesn't know any of the lines and doesn't know any. Oh, boy. No, it was even it. worse. You want me to tell you the full story just real quick? It was even sure, worse. Sure, yeah. It yeah. Was even, and, and again, I want to say, you know, uh, if anybody I've worked with recognizes this story, you know, I think all of us were very inexperienced. And so where I could have been there for this actor or even for this director, I wasn't because I didn't have enough experience. It was just, we're all starting out. But mm -hmm. there, the solution was that this guy was going to have a couple beers and that <laughs> that was going to take away his anxiety for the scene. <laughs> oh, geez. I and know where let this me is just going, tell man. you how that did not work out very well <laughs> at all. <laughs> That's hilarious. I think instead of like a beer or two, he ended up drinking like a six pack. And so now on top of being nervous, uh, he was actually intoxicated. And uh, it was a very, very challenging shoot day. Let me just oh, say yeah. that. But hey, we lived. We went on to fight another day. And you learned from it. And we learned from it. Um, but but anyway, so yeah, it, look, Herzog doesn't talk about this, but from my personal experience, I would say maybe don't go the liquid courage route. No. <laughs> necessarily, if your issue is that you have an actor with a lack of confidence. Getting drunk is probably not the best solution for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and that's, hey, you know, and, and Herzog says, you know, know when to push, but know what your limits are. Uh, and, and that would be like a really good case in point of know what your limits are. Uh, maybe one beer, not six. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh That's my funny. gosh. But, but yeah, look, Hey, uh, and this is, this is, you know, part of the wonderful world of filmmaking. You got to start somewhere. You have to learn your lessons somehow. And I think the best lessons are learned on set. Um, mm -hmm. and you can, you know, you can take a master class from Herzog. You can listen to these podcasts. You can do all these kinds of things, watch all this, you know, read a million books and watch a lot of YouTube videos. But look, 
y'all everybody learns on set that's where you learn and perhaps uh, that, that even is a, a pretty decent segue into his next point which is uh, about rehearsing, rehearsing. Yeah. yeah which is don't he he doesn't like to rehearse um or do like a table read right beforehand which i think is really interesting yeah um and i think again like anything what do you think's in interesting medium, about there's, that there's, there's there's pros and cons um yeah i mean it's not it's definitely not his most controversial thing because there's a no, lot of directors lot of, that don't yeah. like to rehearse um but um i i think it depends on the actors because i think that honestly i think that the more experienced actors can really benefit from rehearsal time okay. and this is going to sound almost like it's it's you know the opposite of what it should be but yeah okay. i think that the more ben the more experienced a actor will benefit from rehearsal time because they will know how to play around with those things and to try new things okay whereas less experienced actors i would almost rather limit the rehearsal time as much as possible and the reason for that is because i think that a lot of times with less experienced actor they overthink things mm -hmm. or if you if you don't give them a chance to overthink and you just basically say go with your very first instinct it can often come out, out a lot more natural and a lot more real Interesting. Um, as opposed to if you let them rehearse it for, you know, three right. weeks and, and they have all these different scene studies and things like that. And then they get on a set and they've got this whole scene overthought in their brain. They, they're thinking about every single word that they're saying. Um, at least that's been my experience. And that's been my sure. experience both as an actor and as a director. Well, I think that and I think that's very valid. And I think, you know, you're speaking to I will generalize it a little bit more. I mean, they're you know, every actor is going to have their own process and they're going to have mm -hmm. their own baggage. They're going to have their own experience level. And uh, I think that there are pros and benefits to both. But I think there could there are ways to mitigate, uh, you know, Herzog's greatest fear. And it sounds like yours a bit, too, is that if you rehearse, you lose spontaneity. Now, of course, we've talked about, you know, at length that Herzog is very much focused on on urgency and spontaneity. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it makes sense that within his style, his framework, philosophy of filmmaking, that he wouldn't rehearse, that he was he's going to err on the side of urgency and spontaneity. Yes. Um, but I think, you know, this is a challenging one. And so I think it depends on you, know, you as a director. What are your what are your what do you want your style to be what is your subject matter what's the overall tone feel etc of your film and you may have to take this case by case um you may be working on a project where spontaneity is you know more important than other considerations i can say you know i i am sometimes a bit hesitant about you know uh i i'm kind of a fan of rehearsal and maybe that's because i've come from a th world of theater before i ever worked on camera and i know as an actor myself i am a huge fan of a lot of homework now here's the catch what is homework though yeah. if you've got an actor who who thinks homework is running lines you're in trouble or just so doing if you impressions have actor, of his or her favorite actors <laughs> well but or just that you know a lot of less experienced actors are they put almost all of their time into learning, quote unquote, learning their lines because yeah. they're afraid yeah. that when they get in front of camera or on stage, if it's theater, of course, that they're going to forget their lines. And so they're so focused on their lines. Well, sure, say a line a hundred times. What's going to happen when you get on camera? It's it, it, you've memorized it by rote. So, of course, there's not going to be any life in it. You you've literally taken all the life out of it. Not it's because just become you muscle rehearsed. Memory. Yeah not because you rehearsed but how you rehearsed yeah it's about yeah. how you rehearsed 
So for me, I think rehearsal is vital. But for me, rehearsal is not about line memorizations, saying them over and over again. It's not any, it doesn't have anything to do with lines. It has to do with circumstances. And I think it, it's time to experiment too. Like well, I would and, say that that's the value to me, at least of, of, of rehearsal is that you don't have that time my, on yeah, set, right? At, right. And this is where you're, this is where I'm trying to take this reasoning here. It, what you call experimenting. So, right, the script is full of what we call given circumstances, right? This is These are all the variables that are taking place in this story that are affecting these characters. I mean, it, it's all the story elements. It's all of the background pieces of every character. It's their wants, desires. It's every little thing that has happened to them before. Like, and all, you know, these characters have lives that exist well before the time of the script and after. And an actor's homework is thinking of all of these things and creating these memories. So if that's your rehearsal... You call it, uh, you know, experimenting, but it, it's really about seeing how these given circumstances can affect what's going on in the moment of the scene. Um, I hope this is making sense. But, mm, um, yeah. you know, and I think if you've got an experienced actor and that's how they're putting their time into a rehearsal, it has nothing to do with rote memorization. So that spontaneity is there because all they've done is work on the creation of this rich tapestry of memories that they will then come up or won't come up or how you know they're going to affect the performance behind the scenes but it has nothing to do with like here's how I'm going to say this line and here's how I'm going to say that line and I'm going to be well, angry here and sad there if two you... experienced actors mm. can sit in silence for an hour of rehearsal doing script work and come out with a better rehearsal than two inexperienced actors that are just doing scenes over and over again well, it seemed, doing scenes over and over again is horrible. And so yeah. in that case, I would say, look, if you have actors who that's the only way they know how to work and you can't cast other people, this is what you're limited to, then yeah. I either don't don't let that, like guide their rehearsals, don't let their rehearsals be just reading lines over and over again, running scenes over and over again. Don't let it be that. Um, guide their rehearsals toward a an analysis of the given circumstances of the script and their character. So, you know, that's that's me. Uh, it's obviously pretty different here. You know, Herzog doesn't go into these kinds of details here because it's, you know, there's not much time. So he doesn't provide as much nuance. And certainly I'm not going to speak for him. I, of course, would never speak for him. But that's that's my kind of take on it. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe it's just because I have so much more expensive you know, or experience on that actor side. But but certainly, if rehearsal means running lines, then oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> you can take everything out of a scene by running a scene 50 times just over and over and over. Oh, and I, it's horrifically boring. Who wants to do oh, that? Yeah, you're, you're just going <laughs> to wind up hating hating oh, the, the subject matter. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, anything loses its meaning if you say it over and over again. I mean, yeah. if you just sat there, Cullen, and said the same sentence 50 times in a row. It would sound like alien jarble by the it end It would it. literally, your brain would just start to turn these sounds into meaningless nothings. I mean. Yeah. We're not Bart Simpson. We're not writing, <laughs> uh, you know. Thing on the board <laughs> right. sixty times, right? Oh my goodness! Um, was, and was I do that, think was that it, it, wasn't Herzog on the Simpsons? Did he, he was. do some he, voice no, work he, he on the Simpsons? On, yeah, I think he did the Simpsons, and he's done like Rick and Morty and a few different things. He's Futurama, in yeah, yeah. I think he was on Futurama. So great well. tie-in, great tie-in, Colin. Excellent. Um, yeah, there you go. But I, I also, I mean, the one thing I say, I will say that I do disagree with Herzog on is the um, table read. I actually enjoy a table read yeah. more as a kind of the 
perhaps last um, chance before you really dive deep in to say, okay, you know what, this really isn't working. Uh, like um, from a writing perspective. Yeah, well, from right. a writing and from a casting perspective, you know, if if, okay. an, if an actor is is doing something that's completely out of you know left field, um, you can kind of gauge there. All right, can I work with this person and can I kind of oh, steer them in the direction that I'm thinking, or is this going to be a really difficult process just off hmm. the bat? Um, you know, I've had I've had especially with inexperienced actors, um, table reads have gone have just been really enlightening because they've done things that have led to recastings. Oh, where wow. It's like they will can say... I ask, the... So can you dive into that? And the reason I ask is because, you know, for, as an actor in a table read, I never, ever, 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 quote unquote, act at a table yeah. read. It's literally yeah. just a reading. So I am never acting. Oh, like, no, exactly. And that's that's and exactly so is that what, what should Are be. you looking at performance in a table read? No, no, no. I'm not performance. I've, yeah. I've seen people, though... Um, come into table reads and okay. you know act their heart out ah. and i've seen that both go well where somebody's doing that and they're really just experimenting with these lines and it actually mm -hmm. can be really interesting but i've also seen it to the point where it's like that's completely you know that this the characterization here is completely off base and i think that the the reason that's really important to me is that then i can you know i'm not immediately as we talked about before i'm not immediately going to go okay this person's out you know i'm, I'm firing them but you can talk to them and you can get a, a reading from someone like that, especially though with inexperienced actors, because of course, inexperienced actors are, aren't going to take notes as well. And I don't mean that in a personal, like they're insulted. I mean that they just don't have applying the notes to their, practice, yeah, yeah, implying no, notes to their uh, performance is going right. to be more difficult because they, as you said, they don't have the experience. So sometimes right. with really inexperienced actors, if they do those big table reads. Well, usually that's um, the only type of actor that would do a big table read. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Obvious, obviously, like you get into the story as you tell it. And, and it's not like you've got a flat effect and you're not in the story, of course. But it's certainly not acting. You know, no, table read is definitely no. not a performance. And so, yeah, if you've got somebody coming into a table read and they're, you know, given this, you know, an opening day performance kind of situation. I mean, it may just be that they don't understand what a table read is for and what the yeah. etiquette is there you know but i did um, i do have a specific yeah a specific example too of that happening where it was again it was like reading through this thing and i remember afterwards the producers and i had a conversation and we were just kind of like that's completely wrong and not anything against the actor but we just realized that it was a complete miscast and that mm -hmm. the the performance that they like the the entire read that they had given for this character just mm -hmm. the personality that they'd applied to the words was was like the you know completely way off of what uh, yeah what the story needed and it wasn't only you know again I also want to reiterate that it's not just for personal taste it's not just me sitting there going well I would have said that differently it's it's the story you know how does the, how does the character choices serve the story and of course you know you can you're never going to get all of that out of a table read um, but it can be a really good and what I've found is a really valuable kind of first line of defense if that makes sense where mm. you're kind of you, you get you know some of those things if, if some of those problems start coming up in the table read you really better take a look at um interesting at you know what your, those choices you've made are uh, interesting. at least that's, only, that's my process yeah, yeah. I, i've only ever used table reads in theater um mm. i've never used a table read for myself i've been a part of reads for films but mm. it was only ever from a writing perspective it was right. only yeah. ever uh, let's hear the words out loud. Um, it, let's get a sense of 
of story structure, uh, but more dialogue. Let's see, you know, do jokes land? Does you know how do things sound when they're actually up off the page? Yeah. So that's the only way that I've ever ever used a table read. I um, in theater it's different. Uh, it's a little more of a tradition. But, you know, they're also helpful in the sense that they can bring a team together. You can it's a, an opportunity to start to develop rapport. Now, especially, you know, my theater experience, most of it was an ensemble cast. So you're building rapport amongst all the actors in that time that you're doing a table read. And it's just kind of um, an excuse to do that. But, yeah, mm -hmm. I've mm -hmm. I've never seen a table read used for anything other than more of a writer's tool for for a film before. But of course, everybody has, you know, a different way of working for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so over rehearsing, uh, we've discussed that. Uh, it's interesting. This is now this is where it could get a little maybe slightly controversial uh, if, from Herzog. He talks about training and he uses an example. This is intriguing to me. I think I think there are a lot of variables here. Mm -hmm. uh, I disagree with Herzog on this a little bit. So he uses the example of Marlon Brando. And, and, he thinks, yeah. and he thinks that Brando was a better actor before he received his uh, training from Strasburg. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think that there are a lot of variables that led Marlon Brando to be disenchanted with acting. And I think that had more to do because I don't think he ever actually lost his craft ever. Uh, I, I think that he remained a, an exceptional actor. That ability was there throughout his entire career. I think his willingness to yes. to put in any work uh and i think uh would diminished and i think that his he became very disheartened with the industry and i think he found less and less joy from doing it as time went on and i think those things had an impact on you know his temperament on set and and his performances but i would argue that i i just don't know that i agree that it was because he received training that he became a worse actor i do understand the sentiment that mm -hmm. herzog's getting at but i even kind of disagree with that a little bit to an extent but we could let's talk about it so basically yeah. herzog's saying that uh that if you if an actor focuses too much on background motivation the, the internal life of a character um that it can actually make actors difficult. Now, it's interesting that he uses that verbiage, right? He doesn't actually really say, well, it makes an actor worse. <laughs> he mm -hmm. says it makes them difficult. Yes, and, which is and, funny because it's very, again, very Which Herzog. is funny, right. And, and Herzog is, you know, he uses some, you know, goes a little further in his example. And he says it's, you know, an actor becomes so focused kind of on these internal issues that they they lose track of some of the, the just base fundamental uh, external logistics of acting like hitting your marks staying in frame finding your light etc etc uh, and i could certainly 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 which see to me though is, could be is, the case again it's one of these things where herzog is filled with contradictions yes because before this if if anybody had told me that you know do you think that herzog cares about the internal work of an actor more than the actor hitting the mark i would say he cared more about the internal work of the actor right but i find that it's really interesting that here he sort of points out that it's he's more workmanlike here if anything mm -hmm. like he's more like you know we've, we've got a job to do on set and if you're messing up those 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 cues <laughs> and things like that that then we and which is really interesting because then because yeah. you'll find places where herzog talks about filming filmmaking completely differently like when he talks about camera he's like yeah you know what i don't care if my camera operator goes off and 
finds the shot himself and moves his arm right into the shot and looks and it's like it's very funny that he's got again these kind of internal well, contradictions well it's interesting i mean i think there you know there are some seemingly contradictory things here but i think it also falls in line with a lot of other things he says you know um and he i mean this is kind of the very nature of herzog as a filmmaker is this this seemingly kind of paradoxical duality that exists here i mean mm -hmm. clearly you know herzog will say over and over and over again he doesn't want to analyze his films he doesn't want to you know he doesn't actually want to analyze his internal creative process he doesn't he doesn't want to question it he doesn't want to know about it and and every you know his process as he describes it in this master class and in other places is all about just going just go mm -hmm. go go do 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 um i don't want to get in my own head i don't want to mess up my flow i don't want to overthink it overthinking it will kill it so this is his push towards urgency spontaneity whether it, 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 when he talks about writing he's talking about his actors so i think he really does come from a place of look this acting's not therapy filmmaking's not therapy this is, you know, uh, that's not what that's about. And to, it, we're not trying to find yourself in the process. You're not trying to like uncover your, you know, your inner your demons, emotional yeah. demons or issues, right? That's not what this is about. Um, so that falls in line. This falls in line with that very much where it's like, okay, well, I don't want my actors to do that either. I don't want my actors to get overly analytical i don't want the, to get so far inside themselves that they turn themselves inside out and you know are kind of just this paralyzed puddle on the floor now i from my experience i could speak to this a little bit and i'd be really curious to to know other people's thoughts but it, it not just my experience but i've seen this mirrored in um, other actors experiences that i've known and studied with and and kind of grown up in the business with and and you know seen their known them for you know a decade or more time and kind of seen a similar trajectory with them and that's this is that i think and and there's actually a, a model of learning which goes along with this which i'll probably screw up but basically it's like there's a point where you don't know what you don't know so you just like run headlong into it and we call this sometimes beginner's luck or but it's like you're not self-conscious because you don't know what you don't know so you just like woohoo you run on out there and do it and, and sometimes there, there can be a wonderful quality to that, right? You're not self-conscious. You're not inhibited. You, you, you don't know that you don't know things. So you mm -hmm. just jump in and go for it. And mm -hmm. there can be a real quality to that. Uh, then when you, your next step of learning is where it's like, okay, uh, I've just realized I don't know anything. Holy crap. <laughs> and now you're, you're filled with self-consciousness and you're, you know, you're trying to learn uh, you're like, I don't know anything. How can I, you know, it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yeah. Okay. Is that what explain that one to everybody? Well, that's the one where it's like the less, you know, there's there's a kind of uh, what do you call it? A, a mathematical formula for, you know, when you lo when you know very little about something, people who know very little about things, they think that they're experts. And okay. then as you learn more, your perceived knowledge goes like, you know, plummets because then okay. you realize that you, you don't. are yeah, you don't know anything. Great. Yeah. And so 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 in this first so in this first place that I described, this we don't know what we don't know. It's an unconscious place, right? Because you're not conscious of anything because mm -hmm. you don't you don't even know. So then when you so but it's an unconscious incompetence. Then you move to a place of conscious incompetence. And that and now you are you're you're okay, I don't know anything about this. And so you're filled with fear. You're like, okay, I have to go learn. There's all this stuff I don't know. Yes, um, yeah. And then you move to a place of competence where now you've spent time learning 
but it's still conscious. It's like, okay, I've learned all this stuff. I know that I know. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're still, so both of these two modes are a conscious mode. You're in yourself. You're like concerned about your own competency. You're analyzing your own level of understanding or lack thereof. It's very conscious in your head experience, which is unfortunate because acting is not about that. Mm -hmm. Acting is not about a conscious planned thing, but there's a fourth area of learning. It's, we don't know, we know. Yes. And that's where your competence becomes unconscious. Mm -hmm. And that is where you want to be. So I disagree with Herzog a little bit, or, or maybe in my own mind, at least for myself, I'm refining it, which is this. I would rather have an actor who doesn't know they don't know yeah. than to have one who's in their head to the point of paralysis where they're thinks in that an, they in, know everything yeah, yeah, yeah. in an incompetent or even competent place of but but it's a consciousness they're they're consumed with their own self with their own inner mechanizations and workings and so they're they're kind of hampered uh in their ability to pay any attention to these outside things but if you get to a competent place of unconsciousness and so what i like, like try to tie this all into the studying acting thing is this is that uh, you know maybe a person who's never studied acting might be easier to work with than a person who's just started and they're steeped into it uh, mm -hmm. And they're extremely conscious about this whole process and everything that's going on. But I don't agree if you take an actor who's been through this process and they've come out the other side and now they have internalized and made like a muscle memory kind of, if you will, of their craft. Every, every, every time I want that actor, I want a studied yeah. actor, but who's internalized it and now it's unconscious. You know, it's funny, too. Um, so we've spoken briefly about I went to a drama high school. Uh, mm -hmm. like a specialized theater school and, uh, to live forever. it was it was glee yeah <laughs> uh but no um i think that it's interesting that you can actually and you know m many people who went to the school as well and teach there taught there and stuff like that will say the same thing which is um you'll get really great performances out of the grade nines mm -hmm. the grade tens and elevens are trying so hard yeah, that you yep. wind up losing those great performances. Yes. And then it's not until you get to grade 11 or grade 12 right. that those you almost return to that infancy. Back. And it's like this weird... But with, um, but with more nuance. Though, exactly. But more... I mean, that's what, and that's what I mean, where, where Kurosawa has a great quote, and it's not specific, specific to acting, but it's specific mm -hmm. to artists and stuff. And mm -hmm. he says that, um, you know, there's this old Japanese saying or something like that, which is that, as you go through life, you begin as an infant, and that is your most knowledgeable and your most, you know, immersive time of your life. And mm -hmm. then you go through life and you try to make decisions and you're always thinking things. And then by the end of your life, you return to this phase where you go, I've learned all I can. And you return to the infant phase that you are now just taking in knowledge again and you're learning and you're actively learning. And I think that that's so, Beginner's not only mind. is that poignant to filmmaking and art, art in general, where it's like you get to a certain point where there's definitely that kind of pro pro mature kind of thing where you're an amateur, but you're trying to be professional where you think you know everything. And then you get to the point where you realize how little you know, and it's exactly what you're talking about. But yeah. it's funny that it breaks down almost exactly into the grades um, in yeah. this, this high school, which is that, you know, the people who are coming in in grade nine who have sometimes no acting experience, sometimes they've just got kind of a little bit of a natural kick for it. Mm -hmm. um, they wind up giving incredible performances. 
And, you know, there's obviously tons for them to learn. But then as you get to grade 10 and 11, these middle years, um, you get this, not necessarily an arrogance in the sense that it's no, a, it's a, a rudeness, it's just but a it's consciousness. a, it's a self-consciousness. Yeah, it's, it's this, this, this assumption that you are becoming an expert when you're not near it, yep. um, which I think is really interesting. I think it's a really interesting way to look at it. Yep. And so, and so that's, you know, so I, so I would differ in Herzog, but I, but I can totally understand, you know, his experience, which is, uh, Hey, I've worked with actors who have been training and I, you know, wow, this is, they're, they're really difficult and yeah. they're just, they're just focused on this whole internal process. And, but filmmaking is not just your internal process, man. Like we got to get stuff done. Um, and I do want to add this too. I mean, you mentioned that these ninth graders, these beginners were able to occasionally give exceptional performances, but I want to say what, what you, what they likely couldn't do would be to deliver consistent brilliance. Yeah. Consistent or an explanation of right. how they got to that point. And that's where you get when you actually have gone through all of these, uh, these, the, the process of learning and you've come out the other side where you have, uh, an unconscious competence it's consistency. It's mm -hmm. that you can bring a brilliance to that take after take after take after take and in different ways with different shadings, with different gradients. So my personal experience is a little bit different than Herzog here, but I can totally understand that for a big bulk of, of experiences where it could be the case that having mm. had some training is going to make an actor much more difficult than otherwise. It's um, also again to say that there are trade-offs too and that some people will go through years and years of acting training and they'll still come out, you know, not not really get all that great. Well, of course, of <laughs> course, know? let's be That's right. I mean, look, it's, uh, of course, we're generalizing in a, you know, we're, we're generalizing in a significant way and this, of course, would apply to any person in any position in any mm -hmm. art or trade or anything else. Not everybody is brilliant. And even after uh, you know an extreme amount of study, uh, not everybody is going to be brilliant. Um, mm -hmm. So of course that that's kind of an understood. But um, so we'll move on to a couple last things here that Herzog talks about uh, when it comes to actors in this lesson. Uh, he talks a little bit about controlling your actors, and it's like I always love it when Herzog. We get a chance to <laughs> be reminded of one of like Herzog's wacky Kinsky stories. Yes, and, yes. And this is a, and this is another instance of that. Um, and I think, I, I hope I'm not going to misquote this, but I'll kind of try to summarize for our listeners here. You know, I think uh, Herzog tells a story about how, you know, they're, they're out uh, in the Amazon and, um, and, and I think he's talking about a Gary and there's this kind of morning ritual of like the distribution of coffee, you know, and so somebody goes around and brings coffee to all the huts here where, where all the cast and crew are staying. And it just so happened, not, not for any nefarious <laughs> reasons whatsoever, that Kinski was last on this coffee distribution chain. And of course, he like flies into a huge fit, you know, oh, my God, I'm the star of the film and I get coffee last. What's going on here? Um and so instead of trying to sit down and rationalize with Kinski and say, okay, hey, look, you know, it wasn't on purpose. It just so had like, you know, we just went by order of hut, uh, like, you know, nothing was implied or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Herzog just like runs over, grabs like the last piece of chocolate. I mean, they're out in the Amazon and we're, yeah. this is the seventies. And it's like, you know, something like this would, was like the highest prize to have on set, you know, the small piece of chocolates all that remain. And Herzog just walks right up in front of Kinski and just takes a huge bite, like stuffs all the chocolate in his face. <laughs> Kinski shuts up. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, so it's kind of hysterical. 
I mean, it's it's just a funny, you know, it's just another funny lesson. I love that Herzog's filled with all these little parables, if you will. And of course, you can like read your own meaning into all of these things. But, you know, sometimes and, and I've experienced this, too. I have totally experienced this. Uh, sometimes the, what you think is a rational way to communicate with somebody uh, might not be the best way to do so. Uh, mm. We are often not rational people. We often, you know, respond emotionally. And, you know, just so happened in that instance, Herzog was very intimate with Kinski. He knew his psyche. He'd worked with him for a long time. And uh, he was right on the money with that. Um, yes. So, it, yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, Herzog at numerous points, he has the saying, you know, know the hearts of men. Um, and of course, he means people, uh, men and women. But uh, I think this is a good instance of that. Um, and I think all of us, you know, we constantly working on your intuitive abilities uh, to read people and understand. But that's just a funny story. It cracks me up. But then he also he has another great story. Um, that classic scene in a Gary uh, near the end when he's talking about, you know, that he, uh, he's kind of just like got this God complex, right? He's almost like turning, you know, he's like, I, you know, the earth will shudder under my feet and birds will fall from the sky. And uh, he's got this, it's, it's amazing performance. He actually looks, I don't know if you've seen it recently. I, I just watched it a little bit to remind myself of the scene. Mm. And he's, he like is delivering this into camera. He totally like, yeah, no, he, yeah. I, I had forgotten about that. I mean, he's looking directly into the camera, which, of course, is usually something you would never, ever, ever do. Uh, but it's an extremely intense and, and effective performance. Um, and apparently, Kinski wanted to rant and rave and, you know, this huge, give this huge dynamic performance. Uh, and, and Herzog said, no, I don't think that's the route we want to go. And, of course, fight ensued. And I think Herzog says that he had to wear Kinski down over hours and hours yeah. and hours to finally get this um, this performance that was subdued, that he literally just had to, like, take the energy out of Kinski so that he could, that's like the only way he could get this performance was to just wear him down to the point where he had no more energy left to, you know, to do what he wanted to do instead of what Herzog wanted him to do. Yeah. But, um, but just interesting stories there. And I think um, it just speaks so much to... The wide-ranging, like skills world that a director acting. needs, you know, or it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, or you've the world of filmmaking, right? It's like you know, problem solver, psychologist, you know, like you know, therapist, counselor. Mm -hmm. Like, it sometimes is pretty amazing, um, especially when you're dealing with somebody as wild and, as Kinski. Now, I I have never uh, uh, worked closely with somebody that was that wild, so I don't have that experience. Um, but certainly, when it comes to uh, having to work with great nuance uh, and kind of almost be like a counselor to actors. I've definitely mm -hmm. been there. Well, I mean, that's why it's so important. I mean, that kind of wraps up the the whole thing too in a nice bow of, of some of the previous lessons as well, which is why I think it's so important that you don't just sit in video village all day and absolutely watch from a screen that like you should be there, you know, in the trenches with them and, and be yeah. working with the entire crew as a, as a unit and not as some sort of, you know, glorified TV station. <laughs> right, right. Or like air traffic controller back there, yes, you know, yeah. like your headphones on and your like <laughs> monitors in front of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and this is, you know, it's interesting. So uh, in this lesson as well, Herzog describes his experience where he hypnotized actors uh, mm -hmm. yes. for the film Heart of Glass. And, I, you know, it's funny. I'm trying to think, well, how in the world can I even turn this into something that you might be able to glean some information from as a filmmaker? But 
Um, I, I certainly never hypnotized uh, a cast. I, I can't imagine myself. Speak for ever... yourself. <laughs> I speak for, have you done it? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done it. Um, I can't imagine that I would ever even see myself doing it. And, and frankly, I'm almost like, I don't even know if I believe that hypnotizing is a real thing. Um, mm -hmm. But it's yeah. super interesting story. And, and the if, performances are super interesting from it too. Well, and so let's talk about it. You know, we can talk about that a little bit, but just in case our listeners you know, need a little bit more background on this. So for uh, Herzog's 76 film, Heart of Glass, he hypnotized his uh, cast, uh, as I understand it, his entire cast. Um, and um, he would kind of put them under before a scene and then bring them back, you know, in between takes or whatnot. Um, but the, the story, and it's been a while since I've seen this as well, but the story is they think there's this small town who survived on this very special technique of, of glass blowing and that master glass blower it dies, I think. And so now this, this town is lost and then they're, they're in this like limbo of like no purpose. Right. And to represent this kind of strange dreamlike lost state this town is in, um, he hypnotized everybody. And it is it is certainly unique. Um, I, I'm personally a little bit kind of on the fence about what I think of the performances. But what's your take, Cullen? I think, I mean, it certainly makes for an interesting viewing experience. Sure. Without a doubt. Um, and I think really that is the goal there, at least in my yeah. mind, is that it's not necessarily to get a realistic uh, no, very depth symbolic. of performance, but rather right. it's about this, I mean, this trance-like, almost meta behavior that all these these villagers go into yeah um and it, i mean i think again yeah it, it just becomes this very interesting and there's a lot of movies that that do this to the audience that that are slow burning and almost try to hypnotize the audience and i feel like it has that same atmosphere i haven't mm. seen the full thing i've only seen the uh select bits that that are well, shown. we're gonna have but, to rectify uh, that when we do a, exactly, our episode where we cover this uh film there i'll have Colin. to get hypnotized and watch it right well, <laughs> well right how about that i'll hypnotize you you hypnotize yeah. me then we'll watch it together and then yep. we will do the episode while still under hypnosis oh that'd be there we go the first Ooh. podcast ever under hypnosis <laughs> i can't wait but yeah, I, and I think it's just one of those wonderful things. Look, you know, if you love it, you don't love it. I certainly think it's interesting. And what I do love about it is um, is that his willingness to do try these things, to go to these places, is just fantastic. I mean, that's inspirational to me. I, I may not have the desire to hypnotize a crew or a cast, uh, but so what? I, I think it's things, awesome yeah. that he did. Yeah, I think it's yeah. awesome that he did. And I, I totally applaud that. And, uh, and if it, it ever came up in a project for me where I was like, it would help. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, there I, you know, I'd I mean, certainly as, look into it. Yeah. As long as you're like treating your crew ethically, of course, yeah. you know, you've got their buy-in. It's not something you're doing behind their oh, back. Oh, yeah. Or, you know. Go into their trailer in the morning and, and <laughs> I just imagine. I just imagine like, you know, what is it like in those old movies? They swing the stopwatch, you know? Yeah. yeah. You are feeling sleepy. sleepy. Your eyes are feeling heavy. Yeah. That'd be funny. <laughs> uh, but it is, you know, and I, I, I highly recommend, you know, uh, it, listeners out there if you've not seen the film check it out i can't yeah. think of any other film that uh, claims to have been you know shot with a hypnotized cast it is very unique and i will tell you it i mean it definitely you almost start to feel hypnotized i mean it is like it's almost it's like this trance-like quality so very very intriguing uh, yeah. on the flip side so on the on a total opposite of hypnotizing actors uh herzog then jumps to 
talking about letting your actors loose. And I love it. He's like, turn the hog loose. Do, yes. do the accent. Do the accent, Cullen. Turn the hog loose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but he talks about, uh, you know, specific actors that he has a lot of confidence and trust in. And mm-hmm. after he feels like he's gotten the, the takes that he needed that were on script, then he's like, you know, uh, I think there might be a little bit something more there. And he lets his actors... Uh, like I said, the few he mentioned specifically, uh, Kinski and um, Cage, uh, but he lets them improvise some. Yeah. You, yeah. Now, what's your thoughts, just real briefly? Is improvise is improvisation something that you utilize, and if so, how? If the and... actor's good, I mean, if it seems yeah. like something that, and I, I actually did, I acted in a movie recently, um, just a short uh, mm-hmm. with uh, the, the. What are the new Marvel movies coming out? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I am. You know the new spider-man well um, actually it's, it's but funny uh, you say, colin just let's pause for a moment it's funny you say that because i feel like you could kill that role you totally <laughs> I, there's something about the guy that plays spider-man that reminds me of you or vice versa <laughs> that's funny i mean no i'm not in marvel unfortunately i'm not i'm not uh, i'm not getting those millions and millions of dollars well i'll tell you what if you ever do get cast if you ever do get cast as spider-man uh i think our ratings will skyrocket for this podcast i'm sure so that would be awesome i'm all for it but sorry Um, to interrupt so no no but uh so i was in this this short film and um again very close friends with the director and stuff like that and she wrote the script out Mm -hmm. and i basically just went to her with the script and uh said can I just throw out all the dialogue that you've written and not in an insulting way, but I sort of said, can I just <laughs> not improvise the entire way. thing? Um, and she said, yeah, sure. And she oh, gave wow. me that trust and it turned out, it was a lot of fun to film. And oh, um, it was just very, very, I mean, it was a, it was a sort of a comma dramedy type thing. So mm-hmm. it wound up working, but. Uh, and this is, you knew that you were friends, you had a yes, relationship. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever go to a director, director I didn't yeah. know and go. And yeah, I also, yeah. I mean, I also, don't act professionally so i don't think i'd ever be in that position to do so right but, um but no it was it was funny but i have you know again it depends on the actor had i you know I've, i have i ever used improvisation i can't really say that i have much um uh I, yeah i, I can't really think have, of a time yeah. when i have i mean i i i think uh i've used it sparingly for sure you know especially i mean there are definitely times and i and herzog has spoken to this uh in a previous episode where for whatever reason, just, you know, a line is just uh, like marbles in an actor's mouth. And, you know, for whatever reason, it's just not working. And it could be that the line is really clunky, or it could just be that the actor has not been able to orientate themselves to the line in a way that it makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And and sometimes the best way around that is to just allow the actor, you know, take the essence of what that line was and allow that the actor to improvise that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And again, I, I will go back to I just want to reiterate, you know, I think the best improv uh, actors are in my experience, in my experience, are those actors who really understand what the acting homework is. Yeah. Where they really build a, the, a depth and breadth of memories of using the given circumstance of the script. And because they've not planned and canned, right? They've not planned a performance. It's not about line readings. It's not about, I need to be angry in this line and sad in this line. Their work is actually always improv. That's the wonderful thing about a yeah. great actor is that it's, it's always, always improv. It should be from the brain, the part of the brain that feels natural, not from the part of the brain that's memorized lines. 
Right. And so, you know, and maybe we can, you know, we can have a podcast where we go into more depth here. I Obviously, it's something that I'm really passionate mm-hmm. about. I spend a lot of time on myself, but I think that great actors are actually always improvising. They're just improvising and with the lines. You know, but, what's funny too is, is just before we wrap up, um, yeah. I, I remember I've last week I mentioned the, the, in the kind of, you know, techniques of acting episode, um, the idea that when I was in that play mm-hmm. with uh, a good friend of mine that I found that we gave better performances off of each other if if she was really angry at me before we started. And it was this kind <laughs> oh, of funny yes. re- relationship between that. Right. Um, and I want to say that that a lot of theater work be- comes down to improv, sometimes to save your ass. The first oh. time that we <laughs> yes. did that play. Oh, boy, um, I've been there. The we what we found out was that we did not receive a huge chunk of the, the script. That we oh. never rehearsed. And so we had like two days to learn this huge chunk of the script that uh-huh. we just never received before. Literally two days. That's not even an exaggeration. Mm. And of course we didn't. There's no way that you can, you know, wholeheartedly memorize that much or, or even oh, get familiar I, I beg with that to much differ, sir, but script. We'll, I, will, in, uh, I beg to differ, but we'll talk about that later. But I Well, I with have, the limited I, rehearsal time that we had, we had yeah. probably, a, you know, an hour and a half a day. So we had three hours to basically get, you know, okay. something like 25 it, pages. I, I will just say it's surprising. It's surprising yes. how much you can memorize if you don't memorize by rote. But yes, a yeah, topic yeah. for a different. So um, you've gotten this big chunk and you have very little time. So we get on stage, though. It's the, the opening night and... Um, it was one of those things where it's like there's like six points in the play that are very similar dialogue-wise and they're very easy to get confused. Mm-hmm. And what happens? Well, we, you know, one of the lines was mismatched and it just didn't make sense mm-hmm. in that context. Mm-hmm. It was at a point where the line that was said was said after I had realized that my dad had died and that was, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oops. So it, it made no sense that that, that re- revelation was supposed to come way later and it hadn't yep. happened yet. And me and her wound up and i think most of this is owed to the fact that we were really good friends and that we knew each other very well and acted so much together improvised the hell out of the entire show it was probably like 50 minutes of straight improv to get this thing done and we wound up it was in a competition and we wound up moving on the festival and, and getting you know pretty far in it which was hilarious considering that our first show our first opening night was (laughs) <laughs> was primarily an improvised and i just remember we were just on the stage like crapping our pants like i was uh, looking at her and she was like and luckily we didn't play it off but you could just tell from each yeah. other that we were both like we've got to yeah. get through this and it was almost the adrenaline i think that really saved us there that it was just suddenly we were like all right we got to improvise that's you know <laughs> there's there you no turn around here we can't save this so but we wound up yeah we wound up doing pretty well so yeah. well and it's one but of I the think things that, that's that really the thing, separates that, theater from film of course yeah is that, and that's uh, what i mean is yeah. that, that film actors with that theater experience um, can often be really, really valuable because you can, you yeah. know, there's there's such differences in theater and film acting, but but there's some things that can carry over super well that you don't yeah. really touch on in, you know, for some for an actor who's strictly trained for film may mm-hmm. not even really realize or get the experience of, um, which can be really neat. For sure. Well, sir, I think we have come to the end of another episode. Lucky mm-hmm. number thirteen. Uh, everybody out there, I want to thank you so much for listening along. Uh, we're happy to have you here. It's a we thoroughly enjoy doing this, and we hope that you thoroughly enjoy listening. So, Cullen, thanks again for a wonderful hour and three minutes here. Yes, and uh, I look forward to our next episode, which is going to be, if I'm not mistaken, sound. Yep, sound. Exciting, cool. Yeah. And this will be this will be neat. We've not, you know, we spent so much time talking about the visuals, about acting. 
and we've really not touched sound in any way no, uh, not yet. that I can think of in any of these episodes. Mm. So I'm really excited to look into this. I think this is an area that a lot of beginning filmmakers neglect. I know, I'm, Matt, I've, uh, I had to learn so much about this. Oh, God. Uh, and yeah. still do. And it's so important. It's so important. So I'm excited for this one. Um, but until then, everybody, I uh, hope you have a wonderful week. And mm -hmm. uh, we will see you next time. Yep. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>